This podcast series is brought to you by Elekanyani Ndlovu. For more details, visit elekanyani.com. My name is Elekanyani Ndlovu and welcome to Manifesto. The seven episodes of Manifesto have been fun, fulfilling, challenging and inspiring. The stories and experiences of women navigating their professional and personal worlds have inspired me. But other than just centering our voices, our stories and our experiences, Womanifesto is also about educating one another, asking difficult questions, engaging our experiences holistically and challenging each other to grow, innovate think and move in ways that will impact people positively. So when I came across the concept of trend translating, I thought this is so interesting. There's a discipline or people whose work is to translate trends. Earlier this year, I did some work with Henley Business School and it was through that work and my involvement in the development of a specific module that led me to hearing about trend translating as an actual thing. I was so fascinated. And when I was listening to Brownwin Williams, who is my guest this week, I couldn't help but think how amazing what she was saying was because in my mind, I was thinking, I don't have time to actually figure out what's really happening in the world around me from a trend perspective and what other things that could influence how the world goes on a macro scale and to hear someone almost give a summary of what the trends are and what the world is looking like was incredible for me because I was thinking this is actually so empowering if you needed to understand where things are moving towards and have a sense of what's going on, you could actually then access that resource that's already there and already packaged and use it for your purposes and use it to process whatever decisions and whatever risks or whatever ideas you're actually thinking about. It was from this fascination that I thought if I didn't know about it until just a few months ago, Maybe there's a number of us who don't know that there is such a thing as trend translating and therefore have never really processed the power that could come out of that. And so I thought today's episode should be that to just make everybody aware that there are resources, there are people who do this for a living and there's information you can get that actually can help you process whatever it is you might want to process, looking at the macro perspective of what's happening in your environment. I think that it's important for us to know what's happening in our environment, especially when molding an entrepreneurial mindset that is a lot more proactive and not necessarily reactive. And through understanding trends, patterns, and how they shape where we are going, we are better able to spot opportunities and be disruptors for positive change by staying ahead of critical data and analysis in our context we can be part of participating in the creation of a new norm 
that serves and includes us sustainably. I have invited Bronwyn to give us an overview of what is happening in the world, what the trends look like, and maybe answer the question of why it matters for us to understand the trends and how do we leverage that. Bronwyn is a trend translator and a future finance specialist for Flux Trends. Bronwyn has over 10 years experience in marketing management and trend research, working predominantly with brands in the financial and B2B industries. Hi Bronwyn, welcome to Manifesto. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. How did you get into trend translating? My background is in marketing management. So it makes sense that I've always worked with trends because as a marketing manager, you do deal with all those reports and with all those agencies. Yeah. And then I got to meet Dion Chang when I was quite, still quite new in my career. I've been working for about five years and I started doing some research for him. And the trend space essentially took over my life. So it went from being something that I purchased to something that I actually started providing. Because I do like the macro context. And yeah. since then, just to make sure that I'm obviously offering my clients a good understanding of the trends that, that I work about and speak about, is I've taken myself back to school. I've studied future studies. You can actually do that. It's a real degree. Yes. And I've also got degrees in economics because economics might sound a bit technical, but when you actually think about it, economics comes down to two things, understanding incentives and understanding trade-offs, which is basically everything you need to understand trends in the future too it's about choice architecture if this then what so if you understand those principles you can obviously apply that to any industry that you're looking at that would be the sort of my short cv what is trend translating is to help businesses understand how trends that would be social trends economic trends political trends all sorts of trends impact on their business so that they are better prepared to take advantage of the opportunities that those emerging trends present and also better prepared to avoid the threats that might be existing from some of those trends to be tracking on their current business models. So essentially, we buy our clients some time. You can think of us as the contemporary version of what used to be the watchmen that stood on the watchtowers in medieval days, sort of scanning the horizons, looking out for the marauding hordes. We spot all those things on the horizon so that our clients have that extra few minutes to get ahead of their competition. Why is it important for us to understand trends? Well, if you can understand trends, you get a head start on the world. Seeing trends and understanding trends is about context. So we really do look at a macro space. We're looking at, at complexity and how different things interact with each other. And opportunities are usually at the intersection of different worlds. And that's why trends can be so useful. And you particularly want to look at a broad picture of trends. You don't want to be like a trend person that only understands, say, fashion trends or food trends. Because what's going to be interesting is when those trends start intersecting. That's where the opportunities come from. So it's about how do you combine virtual reality with cannabis? Or how do you combine, you know, proudly South African with, I don't know, with, with going to space, with Elon Musk? You know, how do you, how do you tie these different yeah. things together? And that's where new opportunities come from is buying you that time to be the first mover into a new space. So if you can see the direction things are headed to be the first person there, you can, of course, get a huge advantage on that. And also buying you time to prepare for threats. So that's why people work with people like trend analysts and futurists. If you had already planned for a pandemic insurance, you'd be very well set up for this year. Yeah. And futurists have been speaking about these sort of things for a very long time. 
And some companies did take steps to protect themselves against the eventuality we find ourselves in now. But because it's not their core business, most people are not able to think about all those eventualities, which is why you want a generalist to come and sort of give you that sort of, to formulate that mess, give you the big map across everything that's going on at the moment. Mm. So really you want to understand trends for those two reasons, to prepare, to survive threats, and to prepare to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. If you, um, these days, just having a five minutes head start can be the difference between failure and success. So that's why you want to understand that. And that's how quickly the world is moving. Five minutes head start. (laughs) That's all you need. (laughs) The whole concept around Manifesto is that we talk about all topics that sort of reflect the complexity and the breadth and depth of women in this country and women Mm. across the globe. And so how can women use trend translating to position themselves for economic participation? The thing with understanding trends, though, is that's only half the battle. You have to actually be prepared to actually go and act on it. So I would definitely encourage women, particularly women entrepreneurs that want to get involved in the space, sort of read the stuff we put out there. We put out a lot of trend research for free on our website at Flux. And be the person that's actually going to act on that. Because if you don't, someone else will. Mm-hmm. So see the direction the world's going on. See what people are doing in different places across the world, different times across the world. And be the one that actually delivers that, that product. Because a lot of the work we do, we talk about this could do this. And this technology could do this or could become that. But we still need the people that are actually going to make that happen. I mean, five years ago, the, the space to play in would be in the crypto space, blockchain space, all of that space. But someone did it. Someone acted on it. And what's happening next? The next big space we see in terms of tech was really two would be virtual reality. And there's space for everyone in the virtual reality space. We see every, everything from interior designers offering their interior design skills to design virtual reality homes for game players. Wow. So, you know, there really is space for everyone out there. And probably the other space to look at would be biotech, which is quite interesting. Mm. That's really coming back down to being a builder business rather than a platform business. But definitely biology, that whole sort of healthcare medicine space is a space that's ripe for disruption at the moment. Mm. Those would be two areas that I would suggest people look at if they're looking for opportunities. So what are some of the current trends that you are seeing? One of the things we've been looking at or the industry sectors we've been looking at at Flux for quite a few years now is the whole shift towards the green economy. That would be the whole cannabis economy, which is quite interesting since it's been back in the news again now. Yeah. But it's a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs to get involved. And why we like that opportunity is because it's a tangible value opportunity. And if you look at the sort of businesses across the world, you've essentially got two types of businesses. You've got businesses that add value mm-hmm. or create value, real value. So that would be service providers, people that grow food and make products and have stuff that they actually do. And then you've got sort of accelerated businesses that sort of extract tolls and rents from society. Yes. You know, that, that sort of that create marketplaces but don't actually add value itself. They sort of get in between the consumer and the buyer. And what we've definitely seen is over the last sort of, probably this, the, the whole of the century, the last sort of 20 years, yeah. we've seen a rise of a lot of those accelerated businesses, all those platform economy businesses like your, like your Googles and your Amazons that provide the toll gates. Yes. It connects buyers with sellers. Now, what we're not seeing is a lot of people actually investing in real businesses. 
But if you think about it from a sort of long-term perspective, you really need both because if you have a marketplace that you've got no sellers, you know, <laughs> no one's actually selling you apples, everyone's problems. renting tables, <laughs> yeah. you, have, you have problems. <laughs> and you also have a case where, you know, the, the marketplace, it's great, but who's actually bringing stuff to the market? So if we're looking ahead at the next sort of 20 years, we really do want to be focusing on businesses that are actually bringing stuff to the marketplace. And that means re-looking at tangible value, which people have forgotten about. It's so nice to say, oh, I'm going to do a tech startup. I'm going to create a, a two-side marketplace. I'm going to be the Uber of XYZ, the Uber yes. of cats, the Uber of nannies, the Uber of whatever it is. But only a few people can win at that. The whole nature of those platform-based businesses is that the winner takes all because it is about economies of scale again. Mm. It's not about distributing value. It's about creating one marketplace so it's as cheap as possible for everyone to find everyone. But that means very few people can win at that space. A lot more people can win and create very nice livings and very desirable businesses by actually bringing goods to the marketplace. And right now, we've probably got enough platforms. Now we need some people to actually start you know, creating value again. And that's why we think things like the cannabis economy is quite exciting because this is a tangible, real economy that can have huge impact on our healthcare sector, on our tourism sector. There's so many different players that can come into that space. Mm. And as we like to say, we've done some research on this. There are now more people that work in the cannabis industry worldwide than there are dental hygienists, which is quite hilarious. Wow. You know, it's got very big, very, very fast. <laughs> So those are sort of opportunities we, we think people should start looking at. And there's so many different things. So then it's like using that those products to create fashion and clothing and bricks. And how can you sort of start thinking naturally? But if I was to give advice to people that are setting up and wanting to start a business, I would say think about being the guy who brings something to the marketplace rather than the person that's creating the just another marketplace. From a macroeconomics point of view, because that's just something that I happen to be particularly interested in, I think the big shift we're seeing right now is a shift towards bigger governments and a shift away from capitalism, as we know it, towards socialism again. So we're getting a more collectivist ideology in the world, and we're also getting a shift away from the individual and the independent individual towards dependence on the state. So that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but it is a rather different contemporary world we're going to have to adjust to as businesses and as employees and as individuals. That whole ideology has shifted and we're going to see a lot of fallout from that. So we're going to see things like increases on taxation. This is across the globe. It's not just a South African thing at all. We're going to see more reliance on things like the welfare state. Some of the big trends we're tracking are things like universal basic income, which was a crazy idea. When I started speaking about this in 2015, no one knew what I was talking about. Yes. But now suddenly it's on the political tickets for pretty much all the major elections going on around the world. And that's a great example of the shift towards a more collectivist thinking about the future. So I can also sort of segue from there to the other side of that, which is the emergence of a sort of big brother state. And that is the marriage between big technology and big government yeah. that's going to involve a lot more surveillance and a lot more data collection of populations. Once again, I'm not taking a moral judgment on whether it's right or wrong or a good or bad thing. As always, all of these trends come with trade-offs. When it comes to things like big data and big data surveillance, obviously that more information your state knows about you, the better choices they could theoretically make. Not all governments do make good choices. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but that's, that's a different story. 
but theoretically, if you have more information, you can make smarter choices about how budgets are allocated and how capital is distributed throughout the economy. Yes. You also have on the positive side, better chances to catch security risks. So take something like cyber warfare. One hacker can put out a bug, you know, like that takes down like a whole healthcare system yeah. of an entire first world developed nation. That's a huge risk. So you see the incentive for governments then to surveil people more so that you don't end up with rogue agents taking down the whole of society. But the flip side of that, of course, is individuals have less privacy, they have less control over their own lives. It's interesting that you bring up the cyberspace and the cyber attacks that can happen between governments. On episode three of the podcast, we actually dealt with cyber crimes and how there has been an increase in trend towards cyber crimes against females. And that's something we unpacked and sort of highlighted the elements that we have to look into in terms of keeping ourselves a lot more safe online. I had alluded to the fact that the risk of a cyber attack will definitely increase. And what you're saying now just talks to that trend moving upwards. Yeah, exactly. I think also on that, Marcus, when you're talking about sort of cyber risk, it's not just the risk of being hacked, although that's obviously a huge risk. And there's opportunities there for businesses and for educators to educate people on how to protect their personal data to make sure your bank accounts aren't hacked, your identity is not hacked. And then, of course, you can move also on to sort of protecting yourself against cyber bullying, like revenge porn, as they call it, you know, when like ex-partners do very distasteful things with their with their personal footage and information. But I think that perhaps the bigger issue that comes out of cybersecurity is more on what they're calling information warfare or be Russian Maskirovska is what they call it. Yes. And it's the whole concept of fake news, organized fake news going on at the moment. It's also a space for huge business opportunity for people that are able to make opportunity out of this mess of information we've got at the moment. Because one of the biggest challenges we face as societies is inability to distinguish fact from nonsense when it comes to information. We've seen this, you know, through COVID that it's going to have a detrimental effect on your very life, you know, if you're not getting access to appropriate to the right information. information. Yes. Mm. And once again, it's always this trade-off. So it's been wonderful for information technology to open up information to everyone across the world. Information just a couple of hundred years ago was gatekept. Now we kind of have the opposite problem and we need to find new solutions for it. Not how to distribute information, but how to curate it and how to verify it. Some of the most interesting startups we're looking at, some of the trends we're seeing there, is how people are dealing with the challenge of solving the fake news problems Mm. to get integrity back into all this abundance of information that we have. But also without condemning open information as being a bad thing. Otherwise, we're back to centralized control and top-down propaganda. And we saw how that worked out last century. Let's not go down that road again. Also, a very interesting context to look at there. And in terms of, I mean, COVID-19 and what it presents is the risk to businesses. And therefore, we have a higher number of businesses probably closing down and facing challenging economic times. What are some of the trends you're seeing in that space in terms of what Uh, what the future of businesses would look like based on what has happened currently? What are the trends that got highlighted through this period? We look like we're going to be one of the economies that is most hurt by what's going on in 2020. So I think we've got the sort of third worst affected economy in terms of the downturn we're going to face. So we have to be realistic about that. But at the same time, when it comes to business, we have to understand that every single business is based on solving a problem. So when there are more problems, there are literally more opportunities to create new businesses to solve those problems. 
And some of the more interesting trends we've definitely seen is how some businesses are able to adapt to change and others aren't. Mm-hmm. And some businesses that are, have deep pockets and theoretically a, a sort of essential survival business type business model still managed to drop the ball during the last few months. But other businesses who are dealt a very bad hand of cards have been able to do quite extraordinary things. And I think my favorite example there would be the contrast between how Woolworths and Chickens have handled the situation. Mm. You know, like Woolworths was the premium brand. They had a very digital savvy online community and they're still unable to actually get goods to your door when you need them. I don't know if you tried to order from them. On the other hand, you had Checkers that was serving a very different demographic, much less online sort of savvy, much less online prevalence before COVID. Mm-hmm. And they were able to adapt and come up with their 6060 app and get products to your door within an hour. Wow. And then when it comes down to sort of entrepreneurial mindset and being able to move quickly when things change and to see the change and then make the change for it. So basically, Checkers did something new. They adapted, they created a new product and they've stolen market share from the, the upper side of the market that Woolworths was playing in previously, the Woolworths has not actually adapted. They have the same really not particularly impressive online delivery service they yeah. had last year. They have not taken that step forward into the future. So I think it really comes down to that mindset of how you're approaching these changes and are you acting on the trend or the change you see around you or are you passively waiting for it to just happen to you? Yeah. And that really comes down to another challenge slash opportunity for businesses, particularly in the African context. One of those trends that has been accelerated is the shift away from globalism and back to localism. Mm. This is a trend we've been tracking for some time. In other countries across the world, you really had like a sort of proudly Australian movement and the proudly British movement and the proudly Rwandan movement, you know, buy your own products. South Africans haven't necessarily been so great about this. We don't actually support businesses in South Africa with our brands. You know, we're still buying international brands or we have been doing so for a very long time. Mm. So we're seeing a sort of a a push and a pull towards more localized supply chains and keeping value within communities, which is hugely encouraging. It's a huge opportunity to build new, resilient local supply chains that might not be as cheap in terms of those economies of scale. They're much deeper and also retain that much more value in communities. And we can see this from everything from sort of new retailers, new supply chains that are actually making products right in within local communities, yeah. all the way through to local currencies. Okay. And that currency is only traded within those people. So that microcurrency thing we've seen in the digital space with things like your cryptocurrencies, we're also seeing like local microcurrencies. And quite a few of the big international charities are actually encouraging this in places like Kenya, and in like our neighboring countries here in Southern Africa, encouraging, trying to build local communities so that cash and value stays within those systems. Mm. And you build a mindset of sustainability and sort of like a circular economy. And in terms of work, the future of work, how's that looking? Okay, so this, this is one of those very tricky, touchy subjects. You've got very pessimistic views about the future of work if you speak to nine people out of ten. Either the robots are going to take all our jobs or foreigners are going to take all of our jobs or, you know, our brain drain is going to disappear off to America or the UK or whatever the case is. But I think that there's actually a, a quite an interesting shift we can make in the way that we think about work to start talking more about work and less about jobs as a starting point. Yes. Jobs are a relic of the industrial age. They're a relatively new concept. But most of humanity's history, you look across really any community, most people worked, so they added value to their communities, but they owned themselves. 
Then we had this sort of industrial revolution and suddenly we started sort of basically selling ourselves yes. to an employer. <laughs> so once again, trading away freedom for security, trading away work that was both a means and an end in and of itself towards work just being a means to get a paycheck. You know, and that's mm -hmm. what we train young people to believe success is getting that job. And a work is a much more rich word, isn't it? Because your work is what you do. It's part of who you are. It's yes. the value that you not only give to someone else, it's also the value that you have for yourself through what you do. So all we have to focus on is how we as individuals add value to our communities and our societies. So when we can shift our thinking to this value proposition, then the future of work becomes a lot more exciting and your sort of lowest common denominator, let's all give up and ask government for a universal basic income because we're never going to be able to do this on our own. Yeah. I think it's a much more productive conversation. Well, Bronwyn, thank you so much for making the time to speak to us. And I think this is very exciting insights and um, I hope everybody enjoys it as much as I have. So thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And if you're interested in the stuff that I'm talking about, as I said, there's a wealth of information on our website. Yes. Head on over to flextrends.com and take a, take a browse around. Have a, have a look at the near future. Thank you so much. Listening to Brownwin, I was overwhelmed. And as you can hear from the interview, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of information. But the point is that it's there. The value of trend translating and analysis is that we can equip ourselves with understanding trends to make holistic decisions, to take informed risks, and to spot opportunities. And that's the moral of this week's episode. If you have ideas, entrepreneurial ideas, or you just want to understand what the world is looking like, you can access that information. I know it's a lot and you can listen to it and have a zero use for it depending on where you are in your life. Or you can listen to it and have a light bulb moment about an area, a space you had been thinking about but had no idea of which direction it's going. All this education, all this information is wonderful. And the thought that crossed my mind when I was thinking about how exciting and informative this trend translating thing was, was that what if I was just not in the right space? What if I was just exhausted? What if you are just exhausted? Next week, I would like to talk about that. How do you get your energy back? And how do you start doing the things that you need to do to get to the things you want to do to get to actualizing your potential and impact one life at a time? I would love to hear from you. Please share your thoughts, ideas and experiences with me on erendlovu.com or send an email to womanifesto at erendlovu.com Until next week, Thank you and God bless.